I know you've heard it before. In fact, I was told it before where it says that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm just convinced whoever came up with that never heard anything negative ever said to them before. Because you and I know how very untrue this is. I like one person said, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will break our hearts. Or as one person said, sticks and stones may break uh, my bones, but words can do permanent damage. Maybe that's the way we better say that phrase. Words hurt. Critical words, words that attack our, our intelligence or our character or our integrity. Uh, words from anyone hurt to some degree, but especially when they come from people that we know and we trust, from our family or our friends or our brethren. There's some things the Bible says in explicit detail, and our language is one of those kind of subjects. I want to start with three significant truths we know about words right out the gate from the Word of God. Here's number one. Three significant truths the Scripture reveals about our words. Firstly, that there's a power to our words. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life. And so within our words is the capability of healing and restoring and building but also within our words is the capability of tearing down and utterly destroying. Which also reveals a second truth, and that is the, the potential of our words. You know, James uses some very visual pictures, illustrations of words in James chapter 3. But the one that perhaps is the most gripping is when he says that the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And so he describes our tongues or our words as this consuming fire. Think about that. Fire in one sense, if it is not controlled, if it is let loose, will do unthinkable damage. In fact, in many ways, once it is set loose, it's near impossible to contain again. And the damage it can do can last for years. But think about it this way. Fire that is controlled can warm those who are cold or can light the way for those who are lost or can be used to strengthen and fortify and forge and make something better. The same element but with the discipline of control can make all the difference. Our words then have the potential, the potential for unthinkable bad or unparalleled good. And then we also see where it all comes from, the producer of our words. In Matthew chapter 12, here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You know what Jesus is saying here? The source of our words is not our lips. The source of our words, where they all begin, is from the heart. So if someone has a language issue, that's really just a symptom of a heart issue, of a heart that's not right, of a heart that's focused on the wrong things. It's been said before that words are a window to the soul. If you want to know what someone really is like, 
what has a hold of their heart, just listen to what they're saying. Just read what they're typing. Just take a glimpse at what they're posting. Because our words are an indication of the character or the quality of our hearts. Back in your Bibles, go with me back to the book of Nehemiah chapter 13. All the way back to the book of Nehemiah chapter 13. I want you to get a glimpse as to what is illustrated here. Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah returns to the people in Judah. He had been apart from them for some time, and he returns back to this city that he had helped to strengthen and build both spiritually and physically, and he finds the people in a terrible place. A lot of what he had built and restored and reminded they had forsaken. And one of the ways we see this in Nehemiah 13, it says in verse 23, Nehemiah 13 and verse 23, it says, in those days, I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. Now, Ashdod, much like Ammon and Moab, our children are studying about Ammon and Moab today in their Bible classes. Ashdod was a Philistine city. If you remember from 1 Samuel chapter 5, it talks about the city of Ashdod. God was very clear in his word that the people of God, his people were not to marry those from other pagan lands. But here the people forsook God's commandment. They married those from other cities. What was the indication? Well, what was the result of the people of God, the men of God marrying women from a foreign city? The first notable attribute is the fact that they could not speak the language of their own people. It was their language. I'm not really sure all what 24 involves. Is it that they couldn't speak the same language as their kinmen? So we couldn't speak English, couldn't speak Hebrew, whatever it was that they were speaking. Does that mean they couldn't speak even the name of God? Did they know the name of God? Step back for just a moment and appreciate what God is illustrating here. One of the first ways we see as a people of God the influence of the world upon us is the words we speak. That's what Nehemiah is illustrating. One of the first fruits that we will taste and witness of the world's influence on God's people is our language. Do you remember the old Fisher-Price toy? And you kind of pulled the string and that arrow went around and when it landed on, it was supposed to give the sound. Do you remember that? Any of you have that toy? They still sell it, apparently. You know, when that arrow landed on the horse, it wasn't supposed to go move. And when it landed on the goat, wasn't supposed to bark. There was a designated sound for every animal that you expected to hear. If the arrow were to land on someone with the name Christian, there's some things you'd expect to hear. Some words, some sounds you would expect. But then there are some words, some sounds you wouldn't expect to come from those who wear that name the children of God. Proverbs says, wisdom is found on the lips of him who is understanding. Or one paraphrase says, wise words come from those with an understanding heart. If we want to speak words that are wise. If we want to speak words that please God, appreciate what he's saying here. Wise words come from those who have been directed by wise words. Wise words flow from those who are guided by the wisdom of God. And that's what I want to simply do today. I want to talk about what, what the wisdom, the book of Proverbs has to show us about our words. There's a lot to say here, a lot more than what our time is going to give us. I want to show a few specifically to some of the questions that some of you had had to ask. 
And up more than anything, this is not meant to beat down. I think all of us have a lot of room to grow in this area. This is one of the things that we tend to, to overlook is our language. I'm hoping this to be very encouraging. I want us just to be thoughtful about this and to be open and honest with ourselves about what the Word of God has to say about our language. So let's just start with some things that the Word of God says negatively about our language. And it starts with lying. This proverb has a lot to say about lies. Proverbs 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. An abomination to the Lord. God cannot stand those who choose to lie. Proverbs 19, and verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. A false witness testifying about something that is not true on the case of another. Proverbs 26, verse 24, he who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. Have you noticed that? I hate, but everything that I'm saying is saying love. I actually hate you. I don't, I can't stand you. But if you listen to me, it's as if I'm saying everything's fine and we're friends and I love you. That is deceit and that is, that's lying. In Proverbs 26 and verse 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. Notice, and a flattering mouth works ruin. It destroys trust. It kills relationships. It puts one at odds with their, with their neighbor with their family, and with their maker, lies. Whether if it's, I'm stretching the truth, I'm embellishing a story, I'm flattering someone, saying something with my mouth that I really don't believe in my heart. Maybe it's, I'm getting out of trouble, trying to avoid an awkward situation, or avoid a consequence of something I deserve, or I'm trying to gain someone's favor so that they will like me and approve me. However it is, when we as God's people choose to be deceitful, to say something with our lips we do not believe in our heart, Jesus made it clear we are speaking the language of the evil one because that's who he is. You, Jesus says, are of your father the devil, and, you, uh, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a, li a liar and the father of lies. When we choose to be deceitful, when we choose to be uh, deceptive, when we choose to twist and to, and to pull and to, and to hide the truth, doing nothing more than walking in the steps of the evil one. We're going to avoid lying. What we say is always going to be true. We'll talk about that a little more here in a moment. Gossip is something that the scripture says a lot about, especially in the Proverbs. The Proverbs chapter 11, verse 23, he who goes as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals the matter. You're going to hear that language, a talebearer. I'm telling a story. I'm revealing secrets. I'm sharing with others something I really wasn't supposed to share. Proverbs 17 and verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Close friends share secrets, but if I'm taking that secret and sharing it around, I'm coming between and causing conflict between those who are close. Proverbs 25 verses 9 and 10, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no and you hear the language when someone is known as the town gossip and there's always someone they have the reputation they know everything if you need to know go to this person because they have all the information the wise man is illustrating that's not a good reputation that's not a good that's not a good name people know those who they need to keep their true intimate details away from because they know they can't be trusted gossip is kind of tricky labeling and, and properly defining what really is gossip is is kind of tough because it's not necessarily gossip to talk about someone 
Parents talk about their children. Shepherds talk about their sheep. Teachers talk about their students. And that doesn't mean that gossip has happened. Nor is it talking negatively about someone is that gossip. Remember Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 says that Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Are we thinking that he was gossiping to everyone since the first century? There seems to be a three-legged stool that holds up gossip, if you will. The first leg is about pride and ego. I know something that you don't know. In fact, it's so powerful that I have this information and I can't wait to share it with you so that you will be impressed that I have the inside scoop. That is the only reason that tabloid sale is, is sale. It's because I have the scoop, I have the information, the dirty news that everyone is dying to know that there, there's a side of, of pride that's at the heart of gossip. Wanting to have that sort of, of elevation over others. I know something you don't know. Another leg of gossip, though, is a disregard for truth. I'm going to tell you something whether or not if I know it's true or not. I may not have all the details. I may not have every bit of this story correct. But instead of fact-checking and making sure what I am sharing is true, I'm going to share it anyway. And that's why gossip and slander are so very closely associated. It's because oftentimes what is said is not true about another person, at least not the whole story. And thus the third leg to our dangerous stool, is speaking negatively about another person. It's not to help them, to pray for them, to counsel them. It's that I want to expose a fault or a flaw in another simply so that you will see that I am better or greater or over who they are. And so I want to expose something about another, not for any good intent other than just to show you that I have this information. And I kind of like the language that Paul uses. In Proverbs 18, verse 8, says the word of a gossip is like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost parts. What I like about that verse is that it reveals it's very appealing. It's addictive. It draws us in. Paul would say in 1 Timothy 5, verse 13, besides that, they learn to be idols, uh, idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. Notice, saying what they should not. And I don't think we need a long list about this. You and I both know that if there's some things that are said in confidentiality and in secret, that's where it needs to stay. You and I also know that if someone starts a sentence by saying, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, that's probably where the sentence needs to end. We know that. We know this. Now, there is a difference there's a difference, and I believe the, the understanding, and you can appreciate this with me, right, is in the heart. If I genuinely care about another person and I want just to know all that I can know simply to care for them and to pray for them and to seek their best interests, that's, that's different. Or if I'm having an issue with a brother or sister and I've tried everything, to bring about a resolution of this conflict and it's not happening and I go to a wiser brother or sister. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 advises us to do. If you have conflict, he says, is there not one wise among you who can help settle the dispute? That's different than saying, I have some information about this person and so I want to share it with you with no good intent intended. I just want to share it because I have information. I think the guiding principle that would help is this. If I'm not willing to say this to the person face to face, I better not say it at all. But I wouldn't say it to the person who's standing right here in the room that maybe I just need to be quiet. 
And if I'm not sure if it's true, if I'm not sure about this story, about this person, about this situation, if I'm not sure it's absolutely true, then I need to make sure I'm absolutely silent. I don't want to mislead. I don't want to give the false impression. I don't want to paint a bad reputation about someone if I don't know this to be true. We need to be very careful. We need to be so very careful about the way we speak about one another. And then maybe the last one we would say is profane. And this is, this is one of the marketable differences between the way the people of God speak and the people of the world speak. Proverbs 20, verse 20 says, If one curses his father or mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Cursing his father or mother, invoking pain and cruel words on the people who brought him into this world. Proverbs 30 and verse 10, do not slander a servant to his master, lest he curse you and be held guilty. Now, do you remember the case when Peter is there and he's in the courtyard and Jesus is there and all the trials are taking place and he's going back and forth, Herod and Pilate, and then someone sees Peter and they recognize him. They say, oh, you're, you're one of his disciples and he, and he denies it. And then they get closer to Peter and here's the way he talks. Do you remember that? Because it says in Matthew 26, verse 73, a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them. Look, for the way you talk gives it away. So what's he do? Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. How does one, a disciple of Jesus, betray his example as a child, as, as a, a disciple of Jesus? How do we show ourselves to be one of the world in the way we speak? He began to curse and to swear. What's profanity? Evil, vile, dark, filthy words that are intended to, to do nothing but cruel intentions towards another. The way we speak, if we were to look up the meanings of the words, it would embarrass and shame everyone who would know it. Paul would say, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. I just want to put this back up there. You see what Paul is calling us towards. Some things are not going to flow from our mouth. Can we just put this back up here with Peter? How does someone who is known as a follower of Jesus change his reputation then to, to display himself as a person of the world the way he speaks? Simply by changing the way he talks, all of a sudden then, he's lost his identity as a disciple of Jesus and is labeled as one just like everyone else in the world. Can you see then the power of the words we speak? It's not incidental. But maybe to shift gears. Profane is not just that which is dark and evil and twisted and, and, and vile. In Exodus 20 verse 7, God says in the heart of the Ten Commandments, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him who guiltless. He will not, not punish those who take his name in vain. Treating the holy things as ordinary, taking God's holy name and running it through the mud. There's a higher standard to those who know the name of God and are known by that name. See, the positive language to the Proverbs are described as things like apples of gold and settings of silver. Have you been there before? You've been in someone's house and you walk in and you're thinking, I don't need to touch anything because what's on this table costs more than I will make in a year. Apples of gold and settings of silver, some of the most finest, eloquent, beautiful, expensive, valuable things you could appreciate. And that's a fit word. Or maybe from Proverbs 10 and verse 11, taking us back to the very beginning, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. 
It brings forth life. It encourages what is good out of those who hear it. And so, maybe to kind of paint the opposite, the words that we are to pursue, that is words you would expect to hear out of those who are God's people, whether well, they be true words, right? And opposite of lies, that he who speaks truth, Proverbs 12, verse 17, he who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. Right? I tell what is right. It's not always what is pleasant. It's not always what is popular, but truth is what is, what is right. It's pure. It's free from any kind of falsehood or deceit. Ephesians 4, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. Again, truth doesn't mean I'm always saying positive things. Because there are sometimes the truth is often very negative. Proverbs gives more attention to this than actually just straight truth talking. For instance, you have a passage like Proverbs 25, verse 12. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Appreciate that. Something beautiful, something costly, is someone who brings a proper correction and the person who listens to it, the person who receives it. Same thing in Proverbs 28, verse 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. You wouldn't see it that way. In fact, today it is, if you correct me, I'm just a victim. I'm the perpetual victim. Everyone's bullying me and picking up on me. Why can't we have more love and more grace? Why are you judging me? Why are you pointing out my flaws? I'm just going to find my friends, and on Facebook, they're going to comment underneath, and they're going to bully you for bullying me, and you're going to leave me alone. That's not at all the language from the Proverbs. Truth calls it as we see it. Now, it's in love, right? Ephesians 4.15. I take no joy in revealing things that are negative, an error about another person. But wisdom is both the ability to speak what is true to another person and the ability to receive it. Brethren, our, our aim, our pursuit as the children of God is not self-preservation. It is Christ's exaltation. Self-preservation means I will do anything to save face. I'll get my supporters. I'll get my team. I'll spend the truth. I'll do anything to make sure that, that who I am and my name is safe. We stand by one name, and that is Christ's name. Speak the truth but we speak it in love. Or maybe the change that's shown in Ephesians 4, 21 to 24, if indeed you've heard him, Jesus, and been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with, notice, the lusts of deceit, the desire, the enticing path of twisting, hiding, covering, lying. He said, no, you, you've laid that aside. You are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on this new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of what? Truth, truth. We speak truth. That's why we have to be so careful, so careful. And to our young people, we got to be really careful about this. Everything we're texting and posting and sharing, if I don't know it to be true, I'm not going to say it. Gotta be really careful. Some of our moms and dads and grandparents need to struggle with this more on Facebook. Read on the internet, it's gotta be true. If I can't, if I can't prove this to be true with evidence, hard evidence and witnesses, I'm keeping my mouth shut. We are people devoted to saying and speaking what is true. But you know what's more powerful than that? The emphasis given in the Proverbs about the good, positive, and encouraging words. 
Proverbs 12, verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. What was that? The things that weigh down, that make someone heavy, and the ability to take it up, to lift them up with a good word. Well, Proverbs 16, verse 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You know, healing the inward man. I don't have 25, 25 of Proverbs, like cold water to a weary soul, so it's good news from a distant land. Did you get the potential? One negative word can cripple a person for a lifetime. But when the weight of everything is crushing on a person, they've got the waves of doubt. They've got sickness and illness. They've got negativity floating around them. A kind, honest encouraging word has the power to heal to lift to restore but what, what he's saying is built within every one of us is the potential to make the difference in the hearts and lives of one another that's why the hebrew writer would say this take care brethren lest there should be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart and falling away from the living god but you notice careful there are some people every day and they're fighting the battle to stay true to god in fact there's a lot of people who are getting beaten down by satan and his work to leave god altogether but it's not the end of the story encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin what's the answer us and what's the call encourage encourage because what would help you more? What would help you if you were struggling spiritually more to have someone say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why can't you get your life together? Why are you struggling to read the Bible? Why aren't you praying more? Why aren't you here more? Or to have someone say, I know it's hard, but I'm proud of you for trying and I know you can do it. What can I do? How can I pray for you? And how can I help you? We are not the enemy, brethren. But we do his work when we use his words. We can be the answer to someone who is struggling by simply using the words that build. Encouragement is building. Building and fortifying and strengthening. And then one that maybe we don't think a lot about is how apt and timely words are really important. Apt and timely. Proverbs 15, verse 23. A man has joy in an apt answer. How delightful is a timely word. Apt and timely. That means the tone in which we speak and the time in which we speak. The tone. Right? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you noticed that before? The way you say something is just as important as how you say it. We're having that again for lunch today. We're having that again for lunch today. It's a good way that's your last meal, say it that way. How we say something is really important. And so if I have some heavy news, some sharp news, not only do I need to think about what I'm going to say, but I need to think about how I would want to receive that. I'll tell you right now, I don't think I'd want an email. I definitely wouldn't want a, a text message in all caps. I wouldn't want a Facebook message full of emoji and strange images. You know what I would want? I would want someone who would look at me face to face and just express in a kind, gentle tone what's going on and how I can change. How we say 
Whatever it is we're saying is just as important as what it is we're going to say. And then the timing of it. Proverbs 12, verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like sore thrust, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. And you know that there are some, you see it, you are talking to them. And while you're talking, have you seen it? You're expressing whatever it is, your point of view. And as you're speaking, they start to do this. They are loading the cannon. They don't even know what you're saying because they are so ready to give their answer. Sometimes we need to slow down a little bit to give some time and some thought to the, the things we are speaking about. In fact, sometimes we need to let a lot of time pass, cool down the engines, put away the pistols. Let's cool down before we say something that we're going to regret. Sword thrusts. Quick jabs are those who speak without thinking. There's a lot. There's a lot we could say about our words. There's a lot we could say about the way we speak. There's a lot we could say about the different kind of words we speak. Hope you appreciate that. Hope you appreciate how much the Word of God has to say about the words we speak. But I want to leave you with this. How, are we, how, are, how can we walk this off the page? The amount of wisdom that's shown in the Word of God. I want to give you two guiding principles. One of which is just speak less frequently. Two guiding principles that will help us to speak wise words. The first of which is speak less. Speak much less frequently. Proverbs 10 and verse 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 20, uh, 17 and verse 27 and 28, whoever restrains his word has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I don't always have to speak. I don't always have to give my thought, my opinion. I don't have to always give an answer. The more we speak, the more we text, the more we type, the more we post, the more likely we are to struggle with our words. The more we speak, the less we listen, the less we understand. I don't always have to speak. My word, my thought, my opinion, my wisdom does not always have to be heard. In fact, I don't have to always answer every criticism that is cast my way. Oftentimes, the best answer to criticism is no words given, but simply a life lived. Let the way I live answer the indictment cast my way. Speak much less. Be known as one who listens not one who always has something to say about every subject. And then if I'm going to speak, I need to speak much more thoughtfully, which ought to cause us to speak much more slowly. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. I just love that. I love when you see someone and you ask them something heavy, and instead of the first thing out of their mouth, you see them wrestling and thinking. And it's not just that they're thinking of the answer, they're thinking about how to form that answer and the best say that answer. Slow down and think, is it true? Do I know it's true? Should I even say this? Is it worth saying? Is it worth throwing it out? Because I know once I do, it's not coming back. And this is not a throwaway one. Jesus is in my shoes and he's having this conversation. What would he say? And how would he say this? Because I will tell you more often than not, that answer has caused me to put it away. 
I, I don't have to speak. In fact, maybe it's best not to say anything and just to let it go. Speak less. But if I'm going to speak, let's spend a lot more time thinking about what it is that's going to flow out. The prayer that's given from Psalm 19 is a great prayer that we ought to have. It's a great prayer for everyday living. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Every word be acceptable to you. Lord, every, every word I'm going to speak this day and every conversation and every text and every post, let every word that flows from your servant this day be something that brings honor and glory to you. Do you remember the song we sing? May my steps be worship. May my thoughts be praise. May my words bring honor to your name. And that will guide us well as the people who seek to bring honor and glory the way we speak to our God. Thank you so much for listening so well. I hope these are helpful and encouraging thoughts for us as we think about what we're going to say. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.